Hey everyone, this is Jason from the Rams Review Podcast. Just before we get stuck into the episode, I want to take a quick moment to promote something us here at the Rams Review Podcast are very passionate about, the Fan Hub app. Football without fans is nothing. That's why Fan Hub is on a mission to put fans first. This app is now available on Apple and Google stores. The Fan Hub app has lots of fun things for fans of football to do, including competing against fellow fans in predicting lineups and checking on match days. Also, lots of real fan media content for each club, including us here at the Rams Review Podcast for Derby County. Download it today and be part of putting fans first. Currently, there is a waiting list for the app, but we can give you a unique code to help you jump the queue. Check out on our socials for more info. This is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast with me, Jason and Corey. Corey, hello. Jason, how are we? I'm all right. It's nice to be back. It feels like we've not done a podcast for... For ages, as the two over, we took some the, time for the international break for ourselves, and then with the Easter fixtures, it just got a bit crazy. And I was eating too many Cadbury's eggs, so I couldn't, I couldn't come on. So, yeah, no, I'm, I, I feel the same. Obviously, the the couple over the international break we pre-recorded, so yeah, it feels like we haven't had a we haven't had a sit down, and it's never never a dull moment in Derby, as uh, as we'll go on to talk about later on. But first things first, we have to discuss a game at Pride Park on Saturday against current and I would presume everybody in this room would say expectant uh, championship champions. Uh, and of course, we've got Connor from the Pinkin and Jacob from Canary Cast. Boys, thanks very much for joining us on what we've just mentioned on the off chat. After last night, you're, you're, striding, your way to, you're striding the way to the title, surely. Yeah, I, I think so. It was um, yeah. We're, we're obviously recording this what less than twenty four hours after Norwich have, have just beaten Huddersfield seven nil. So as you as you can imagine, the mood is um, is is fairly good, fairly positive amongst uh, Norwich fans at the moment. That's certainly how I <laughs> I gauge it. I, I don't think there's too much negativity floating about. And like you say, yeah, I think I think there is a, a very slim chance that Norwich could actually confirm their promotion um, uh, this weekend. So. It is edging ever closer now to completion. I don't think the top two is is really a doubt. It's um it's a significant gap now between Norwich and, and Brentford in third. I think it's it's probably all eyes on the title and, and like you say, I think or eight points clear of Watford now in second, the numbers are, are pretty staggering. So um yeah, it's 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 a, a really good time to to sort of follow, to report on, to support, to be associated with Norwich City. And um yeah, you have to make the most of it because as as we know that it, it doesn't come around too often. No, not for Derby, it doesn't. I mean, what, one of the first points that I normally discuss with guests is, uh, how has your form been this year? Well, don't necessarily think I need to really cover that in too much detail because it's pretty obvious what the form you've been in. You've been in the form, um, you're clearly comfortably better than any other team in this division. 
Um, what I would say, though, is certainly me and Corey at the start, um, and I was actually quite surprised. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised on how well Norwich have done. Um, not necessarily that I didn't expect them to be at the upper upper reaches. They've got the Premier League players. They've got you know Premier League money and all that. But I know me and Corey both said out of the three that came down, we probably thought Watford was probably the most equipped. Just just with how long they've been in the Premier League, and I appreciate they're they're up and they're up there, because this will be the second promotion uh, under under Farker, who's, who's taking you up as champions. So clearly, it wasn't wasn't a fluke the first time you've come back down where a lot of teams struggle to, to regroup. You've managed to, you've managed to stay in there. And I know um, speaking to one or two others, I actually do have a couple of Norwich uh, fans as friends, which you know, is, is crazy from, from being in that part of the world, I suppose. But, you know, they've all said, obviously this season, it, every, every team that come down, they say it's massive to go straight back up. But for one or two of the players that Norwich had, it was probably even more so important that they went straight back up because you are going to lose if you don't go up. You are going to lose Timo Puki. You are going to lose Buendia. You are going to lose, obviously, one or two of the others that are in there. How much different has the championship been from your from your view this season to when, obviously, you won it two years ago? Do you think you're better equipped? Obviously, you presume you're better equipped this time. But do you think what what's with the the 12 months, obviously, you were missing... What's what's the difference in quality been like? Do you think Norwich have, have strolled strolled this division like it? It's looking likely that that's probably going to be the case. Yeah, I think um, the, the main difference for me is, and I'll, I'll be interested to see what Connor says after me. I think firstly the championship's been poorer this year. I think a lot of teams have been very defensive, and for the start of the season, um, like you saw against when we played you and. It was Norwich with kind of failing to find a way through sometimes, and but then eventually kind of starting to find a way. And now we're we're really in full gear since we lost to Swansea a couple of months ago, which was a moment where a lot of Norwich fans, in particular, were thinking this could be very tight when it doesn't need to be. We've just kicked on. Emmy Boydier coincidentally came back after that game, and he has been on absolute fire. He'll be the main one you have to watch again on um, Saturday. He is just. Incredible. Any of the three assists you watched last night are just sublime. He's on a completely different level. Um, I think we're a lot more better equipped this year, a lot better purchases in terms of a couple of years ago, it was fun. It was Norwich winning 4 3, 3 2, very dramatic, very outscoring the opposition. But we conceded over 50 goals um, in that campaign, and you can't sustain that in the Premier League. We papered over it in the Championship with late goals and being able to outscore the opposition. And in the Premier League, we, we got found out with that. We didn't replace or recruit well enough for me in that defensive areas and this year we have we had the likes of Ben Gibson who is unfortunately out um, and then replacing the likes of Jamal Lewis eventually with Dimi Jalilis who's looked good Max Aronstein is was so so key because he is by far the best right back in this league I think if we go up regardless I think unfortunately he goes because he is top class ready for me but all in all we've just been very professional this year and as you saw yesterday, when we really do get going, and um, it's a scary prospect for any team in this division. What, what I, all I would add, and and and, um, and and Jacob's right, it is a more defensive division. I think you only need to look at the managers that either are in it or have been in it. I think Ita Karanka, for example, obviously was at, was at Birmingham. Neil Warnock, I think, maybe gets an unfair tag at times, but certainly he, he builds his sides from, from the back going forwards. Several others we could we could list, Chris Hewton, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it is a, it is a more defensive league. And and it's, it's kind of what makes results like um, Norwich had yesterday 
um, quite interesting because Norwich haven't really turned many teams over. It's, it's been quite a rare occurrence actually for Norwich to to sort of see past an opposition with with two three goals. There's, there's usually been a goal or two in it either way, um, and they have kind of been threatening to probably beat someone in in the way that, that Huddersfield felt last night, but it hasn't really transpired for whatever reason. So that's a factor. What Jacob says is is right, and Daniel Farker made a fairly lengthy speech after um, Norwich were relegated from the Premier League last season saying actually if you have a pretty solid base let's take Sheffield United as a good example in the first year in the Premier League you're more likely to stay up in your first year in the top flight but then the second year becomes more difficult because that's when you need to um, you need to add the offensive quality and you need to show yourself a bit more because you're not going to be the team that maybe everyone expects to beat all the time. Um, and, and you can see what's happened with, with Sheffield United. On the contrary, if you're a side like Norwich were, I'd probably throw Aston Villa into the bracket as well of, of being quite offensive and, and looking to score plenty of goals. It's more difficult season one for you. You might get relegated, but if you do stay up, you've then got a better chance of establishing yourself. And again, as we've kind of seen with Villa that's kind of been something that's that's been true so it feels to me like Norwich have been geared towards as Jacob says building that defensive base working on how many goals they concede maybe playing games on tighter margins um, with the quality of an Emmy Buendia a Todd Campwell a Timu Puki um, and, and it's quite frightening the talent they have so in terms of what's been different definitely stylistically it's been different there's been teams who are who are essentially looking to come to Carrow Road and 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 put men behind the ball completely understandable completely justified um, but it's not necessarily what Norwich had to face two years ago so it's probably been a, a slight adaptation to what they've had to face this year I would say um, but equally you, you do that and Norwich have too much quality but then equally if you press Norwich they can play around you. So it's, it's really difficult, I think, for opposition managers. Um, but yeah, in terms of the championship, I, I would probably say overall, having watched all the teams, it's probably a lower quality this year than it, than it was two years ago. And Jacob, Connor, to build on that point, uh, Connor, you just talked about the offensive qualities and, and Jacob, you mentioned um, a player in particular, Emmy Buendia. I know when we spoke last time when we had you on back in, back in the autumn, um, which coincidentally was Wayne Rooney's final goal as a professional footballer. Who would have thought that at the time, right? And now he's in the dugout. Um, the creative linchpin, let's say, of the Norwich midfield at that time was none other than the creative force of Kenny McLean. Um, because we talked about, and I remember this from, from, from our conversation, that at that time, Norwich was really lacking a dearth of creative midfielders. And obviously the transfer window was either shutting or close to being shut. And we were having the conversation on, is Kentwell going to stay? Is Emmy Buendia going to stay? And Emmy Wendia, as you just said, he scored last night. He scored 12 goals. He's got 15 assists. He is that creative force. Um, is it, and obviously they've got Timu Puki. Is it a two-man team at Norwich with Puki and Buendia? Or are there other options as well that are available in there? And how crucial has Buendia been to, to, to Norwich's success? I, I wouldn't say it's a, a two-man team. What I would say is it's a bit like having a cheat code. I think that's probably the best way to maybe put it across to, to opposition fans. Because I, I think certainly externally, and it's a fair point, you probably look at it and you see Emi Buendia on 16 assists and you see Timu Buki on 25 goals and you can probably draw a link between the two. But actually, I think that's maybe been 
why or a reason why Norwich have been more successful is that overall the team is more balanced. It has a better structure to it. Um, I, I think last time in the championship, sometimes Norwich would play with Hernandez on on the left and Buendia on the right. And then you've got kind of a uh, an inside forward, an inverted winger, however you want to describe it, on one side with a, perhaps a more sort of chalk on the boots winger on the other side. And and again, it's kind of that mismatch. Now they've got two who, who like to sort of come inside and drift inside. Campwell as well, I'd, I'd throw into that. Midfield two, Skip and McLean complement each other really nicely. Defensively, again, as Jacob said, Gibson and Hanley were uh, were forming a sublime partnership. Now it's it's um, an eighteen year old in Andrew Omavamadele who's who's been forced to play the rest of the season. Has looked very impressive. The fullbacks again, um, very Daniel Farker pushing high, supporting the attack, providing the whip. So it's a better structure. I can see why um, you you point to to those players in particular. Um, but maybe what Norwich's balance and their structure allows those players to do is flourish even more than perhaps they did two years ago. I think that's why we're now seeing Emi Buendia rack up the amount of chances created and all the ridiculous numbers that he's he's racking up. And uh, and Timu Puki is obviously profiting because the chance creation is so high. So I think, yes, those two are the standouts. Buendia for me is is far, far and away the best player in in the championship, I think there's there's probably a case to say that he could play for most teams in Europe, to be honest, with, with the quality he has. Um, and then Puki at this level is is so devastating in front of goal. So it's a it's a lethal combination, but they are only allowed to flourish because of Norwich's overall structure. And for that, I think you have to give Daniel Farker and, and Stuart Weber some credit. Yeah, I think I think Daniel Farker's been absolutely superb with that in terms of the in the management of all of them. Um Ollie Skip as well has got to be a, a big mention in there. The, he's played every game bar one and has just transformed that midfield role. In the Premier League, we had kind of that Tom Tribal and Alex Tete at times. It just didn't work. There was, there was a lot of interchanging in those teams. Morris Leitner as well was playing in there. And we just got over overpowered, really, by a lot of Premier League teams. The physicality, the pace, just everything. was. We were overawed in, in probably the most important part of the pitch. And this year, Ollie Skip is just absolutely sublime. You'll watch him on Saturday and just think he's he's a few seconds minimum ahead of everyone else on the pitch in thought process. And then he's quick as well. Uh, yesterday, ran from very deep inside his own half all the way to the box. Defending was dreadful, but he's still got the engine to do that. And he's been incredible. Yeah, Buendia is the one. Whilst Connor saying, we have got an incredible structure. You take Buendia out of that, out of that side and even just psychologically, you think... It's going to be more tricky today. We've won two games about him this season, which is a nice uh, bonus when we hadn't before that. The Forest away game was was a big one where we were like, okay, Kieran Dow plays well. I still think Dow's trying to find that consistency, which probably his whole career he's trying to find. It's 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 nearly working in times. He scored a nice goal yesterday and played well in parts, but the touch is sometimes off. Um, and Puki, whilst he's got 25 goals, he's probably missed, I think it's about 17 key chances this season, which is huge. And like Connor's saying, the amount of just answers we're creating for him is is incredible. And yeah, the whole team and the structure in general is just superb, really. See, Jacob, my question was going to be, has Timu Puki found his mojo? Because obviously when Norwich went up last time, he was like, I think, top scorer, went to the Premier League. He had an excellent like first couple couple months. Then he really fell off the wagon and really couldn't finish his lunch. Came into the championship. He kind of started a bit slow, but now he's obviously ramped up. So you've answered that question. Timu Puki is back. He has found his mojo because of the cre- the chance creation. Hi, 
how important has Daniel Farka been um, to, to this Norwich team to, to progress it, to progress it to where it is. Obviously they kept him coming down from the premier league. That's a big, um, a big bit of confidence that, that Dealey Smith invested in Daniel Farka, because we see this all oftentimes. I mean, Sheffield United, you mentioned him there, Connor, Chris Wilder took him from league one to the premier league. He's going to, they're going to go down and they fired him for, they were already relegated. There was really no point. They could have had him build something again in the championship, but for a team to come down, keep the manager, Daniel Farka, how much has it meant to this Norwich team to progress, Jacob? It's been massive. I don't think probably one, two percent absolute maximum before he was going to go. He's never going to be sacked. It was the thought of uh, at the end of last season, the, the just the pure dejection in everyone, support, fan base, Weber, Stuart Weber, Daniel Farker, the team, everyone looked so dejected because it was so poor and we were just so far off it from lockdown to the end of the season. Before that, we were we were not that far away. It was just a couple of silly errors in games, which at the highest level you get done for. Um, for me, it's been remarkable what Daniel Farker's done. Substitutions are still probably slightly late at times, which is probably the only stick you can beat him with, really. But I think really what he's shown this year is he is by far the best coach in this league because there have been times when he's had to change the game he has. For the first couple of months, including the game against yourselves and against Bournemouth, I was thinking, here we go again. He's not changing it enough, quickly enough. We've had a lot of injuries, especially October, November, December time. It mounted up to about 15. And for him to have kept going without his first-choice goalkeeper a lot of the time, uh, we didn't have a forward for a couple of games at all. And you just think the, the guy's been absolutely incredible. And if he doesn't win manager of the year in this league indefinite then it's <laughs> I don't know who else would win it because he's been absolutely sublime and just the style of football we should never take for granted and for me in my recent lifetime I can't really think of anyone who has been a better coach for Norwich City than Daniel Farker. Connor similar sentiments? I think so I think um, what you have to consider is uh, and this is going to be quite a, a weird statement I think for maybe those that, that don't or, or don't follow Norwich or, or don't sort of understand their model but what Norwich did when they appointed Daniel Farker was very simply said in the short term results aren't the most important thing and that's quite a big statement to make for a football club I think particularly in 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 English football where it's so short term and and people are so impatient it's all about performances and and for Daniel Farker he was appointed because of his ability to, to as Jacob said there coach players to bring players um, through the academy Norwich for, for a long time put a lot of money into their academy and weren't necessarily seeing the rewards for that in the first team well I think he's given 12 11 11 or 12 players now their their senior debuts which is which is incredible um Max Aarons, obviously Ben Godfrey, uh, I don't think he gave Godfrey his debut, but obviously helped him push through. Jamal Lewis, he, he gave his debut too. So um, it, it's, it's, it was a very long-term approach because the easy thing for Norwich City, I think, would have been to sack Daniel Farker, um, try and do things a little bit differently. And, and actually, when you consider their plan and, and how they're trying to operate, both by being self-sustainable and successful, which isn't necessarily two things that often marry up in football really well in life let alone football um, they're, they're trying to be a bit creative and that means that you have to stick to a plan and you have to have a, a distinct way of doing things and that means you have to appoint people that you believe in and crucially they didn't they didn't lose belief they didn't um, change their mind on Daniel Farker overnight as Jacob said there he had offers from Germany he could have gone and um, gone back home and, and said you know what I got an origin in the Premier League on a shoestring I've worked with my hands tied behind my back happy days job done I'll now go and work in the Bundesliga he didn't do that so I think 
you have to applaud the club as well for the decision because a lot of clubs, pretty much all clubs, I think, after what 10 consecutive top flight defeats, which is the worst in Norwich City's history, would have pulled the trigger. And they didn't because they knew that realistically, who are they going to get that had a better CV in terms of previous track record of winning the championship and, and also knowing that maybe that he hadn't been supported in terms of recruitment. Um, so it was a big decision and I think it's, it's proven to be the right decision. I just hope now that we see in English football that other clubs come down and realise that actually you probably don't need to sack your manager and, and start again. You, you can probably change the personnel or just tweak the approach rather than having a drastic overall. I think whenever a team gets relegated, often they're left to soul search and they rip everything up and, and try and sort of embark on a brand new project. And you can't really do that every two years. So um, hopefully we see more clubs learn this lesson, but um, uh, you reference Sheffield United watching them, for example, don't think that's going to be the case anytime soon, unfortunately, but yeah, both the club and Daniel Farker deserve a lot of credit for this season. I think one of the, for me, one of the big points about that, is obviously down to the fi- down to the financial side of things, and obviously, I know money isn't something that gets thrown about at Norwich all, all too much. I mean, it's great if you can come down and obviously play with the same eleven that was that was technically in the Premier League, but obviously the finances of football these days normally um, a the wages and obviously b in terms of Norwich, obviously like Timo Pukki, like Wendy, they they've got multi million pound price tags on the red that you know. Club, clubs will will come sniffing round, and so actually, yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from, Connor. It's, but sometimes I think it can be a little bit difficult to keep it uh, keep it all together, and you know, people start tightening the belts up, and and, and you know, I suppose that all kind of depends how the clubs run in in the first place. And I know Norwich has, has ran pretty well. I mean, it certainly wouldn't work certainly wouldn't work at a club like ours. I know that for a fact because uh, we can't we can't run anything uh, unfortunately at the moment. But it's it's obviously I've always thought the same not not just Norwich now but you know we mentioned Sheffield United there I've always thought you know a, a manager that gets you up there it was very similar I know it's a few years ago now with Derby but you know we got we got up there and then they sacked the manager within 10 games and it's like but what why because they've spent the best part of 18 months learning those you know learning with those players and unless this thing's going on behind the scenes that you just don't know about which okay fine you know that probably never comes into the public eye but you know, when you've had a manager like that, and you're quite right in what you're saying there, Connor, it's very strange for a manager to to go up, come back down, and then potentially, almost near enough, guaranteed, go back up again with the exact same manager. It's it's almost unheard of unless you know you like Burton or with Nigel Clough or, or something like that. You just you just don't see it very often. So it is quite refreshing. It's nice, um, but I think you're right in saying I don't think it's going to change any time anytime soon, unfortunately. But then again, who knows? I know me and Corey have both said COVID, uh, you know, after COVID football um, and finances might start restricting restricting a little bit more of that. Um, and I think you're quite right. I think, you know, plenty of teams that come down, you know, that you'd think to yourself, they, they should have a, a, a pretty good shot of going straight back up. Do strip it apart and Sometimes it falls right, and they they bring in another bunch of players that makes them makes them kick on. But then, obviously, other times it, it doesn't quite work that way. But I must admit, I've always I know this 
a lot of people will probably call me out for this, but I've always thought a team that goes up, comes straight back down, then doesn't challenge again at the top end of that league clearly wasn't good enough to go up in the first place. Uh, and that's kind of been my my opinion. And I can hold my hands up and say Derby were very much in that category not 15 years ago. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. But obviously, I'm sure from your point of view, you're looking forward to the Premier League days again. And because I think it would take an absolute minor miracle now for that not to uh, for that not to happen. So I'm not going to jinx it. So we'll we'll cut short there. I just want to I want to pull up a couple of stats that I've been looking into uh, just before we. I do want to touch on. The, the game at Carroll Road earlier on in the season, but there's just, just a few stats. Corey, um, these stats are, are damning, really, in terms of, of, of Derby and Norwich. And, you know, you look, the difference between the two sides is it, it just couldn't be any, really, any further apart. I mean, Norwich have scored more twice as many goals as Derby. They've conceded twice as many less, near enough. They've won twice as many games. They've, and the biggest stat of them all, they've lost four times less games than Derby have this season, which is absolutely incredible when you think about it. I mean, I know Derby have been bad, and they have been bad. I'll, I'll say that right now. Derby have not been good this year. But for a team to have, you know, lost four times as less, that's that, that's in, that's pretty much incredible. And then, you know, just touching on one of the points you've just come, uh, mentioned on there, Jacob, obviously, about uh, the season, the previous season when you went up and you conceded, you know, a lot of goals in that championship season, a lot more than, you know, most uh, in that division. But also I noticed you, you nearly hit 100 goals that season. This season, it's been a little bit more conserved. Is is that down to what you've been, you guys have been discussing, just down to the structure? Norwich have found a, another way. You don't necessarily need to be scoring four or five every week if you're not, if you're not conceding four or five. I mean, Derby again in the in the failed playoff attempt in 2014. Derby, where we'll score, we'll outscore you. You come, we'll outscore you. That's not a problem. And those figures then can get a little bit misstrewed sometimes because you know it's yeah a high game. Games of football are won on defences at, at the end of the day. If, if you if you don't concede, you're getting points out of the game. And if you've got a good enough strike force, which obviously Norwich have got. Um, but in terms of that, is 30, 40 goals difference? Is, is that just down to the style, Jacob, that, that's the, the main difference between those two two seasons? What Connor was saying, I think, was key earlier, was when he was saying that with one Premier League or one bad Premier League season, the uh, psyche from opposition teams changes drastically. So two years ago, it was a lot of kind of almost basketball football, really. Norwich had a lot of the ball, but... No, no team really sat back against Norwich. They thought, okay, this might be a bit of a, a wave where Norwich uh, on a run and then kind of stopped, but we just consistently kept scoring. This year, it's just been incredibly defensive teams playing against us. Um, if you open up against us, I can remember Bristol City did away. We scored three goals very quickly in the first half. Um, Huddersfield last night, for example, tried to press. It didn't work. And, well, we absolutely battered them. A lot of the teams have just sat back. And that's exactly what Derby did in the reverse fixture, sat back well, very, very good structure and stopped every sort of flow when Deer wasn't fit. I think that was his first game of the season. Schlieperman came in as well. Again, all of it just wasn't really clicking for Norwich. But yeah, in general, like I was saying again, without the fans, the whole championship season has been quite defensive and every single team has scored less than I think they would if they were if it was a normal season really um, and also Norwich have missed a hell of a lot of chances especially early on in the season like I said with Pukki he's missed at least 10 uh, chances that you would normally back your your house on him score and he could easily have 30 plus this season um, 
and then just a bit of a, a luckier times hit the woodwork a hell of a lot as well I think it's just been here or there but we've normally more often than not found a way just to grind out a result or a win more often than not because we've got a better quality of player really than everyone else in the league and, and Connor it, it, this might be a bit of a, a bit of a jokey a, a jokey achievement but the 100 points for the season is still on. Obviously, automatic is, is practically assured now. I think it's only five, is it only five points until you declare champions? Chances are that's happening. I can't see how it wouldn't. Is that 100 point mark, is, is that something that's been mentioned from, from coming out of the club that they'd like to hit that target? It's, it's a golden target that not many have managed. Uh, well, they, they've not mentioned a hundred points. I think it's it's very much though. Once promotion is done, we go for the title. I think that's that's very much their view. They they want to win the league. It's as simple as that. And I, and I don't think what what's going to happen is that they're going to get promoted, and then you're going to have four or five days of of partying and, and videos of them um, in, enjoying themselves. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. I think it will be maybe one or two, and then back to business to try and win the title. So um, I I think it's in the back of everyone's mind. For me personally. I think they'll probably fall short and that's just because again I think they'll probably enjoy themselves once promotion and then the title is confirmed and by that point it could be two or three games left in which case I know they've got to go to Barnsley on the final day who, who could still be fighting for the playoffs at that point they've got to play Reading again who are, are going to be fighting for the playoffs Watford um, who, who are going to be obviously fighting for that second automatic play so their last sort of few games are against teams that have sort of stuff to fight for and Norwich City it could all be done and wrapped up by then so I think the reality is they probably will fall just short but equally I don't think that will particularly take the gloss off what has been a, a remarkable season and um, and yeah I think it, it will still be yellow and green ribbon on the on the championship trophy when that comes to, to getting handed out so I think as long as that happens uh, the numbers will, will take care of themselves I'm sure. I do, like I said, I do want to touch slightly on the on the game at Carrow because it's quite important one for for Derby. It was the first win of the season. Um, obviously, it seems a long, long time ago. Not had too many wins since then, I must admit either. Obviously, whilst we're one of the reasons why we're down that that bottom end. But Corey, you think back to to Derby of then and and the Derby of now. Uh, looking ahead to the game as well on 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 Saturday. Uh, one of the things you just said there, Jacob, Derby did sit behind the ball and obviously it was a it rode our luck, I think it's fair to say. Uh, a penalty miss in there as well, I think I seem to remember. Um, and then, yeah, Mr. Rooney practically did the only thing he's done in a Derby shirt this season and and, and stuck one in. But um, And actually, I think I'm, tr- I'm trying to pull out, for, for our listeners, I'm trying to pull out positives of, of Norwich coming to Pride Park on Saturday. Um, I think Derby are unbeaten against Norwich in about five, if memory serves me right. I think even even the season you won last season, last a uh, couple of years ago, I think we beat you at your place. That incredible that incredible four three game where where we went off the pitch and then came back on. And I think we even nicked something at Pride Park that year as well, early on in the season. So, um, you know, optimism. It, it, when you're down at the bottom, you have to search for it wherever you can find it. Um, and that that's what that's what I'm going to try and do. But Corey, in terms of you know Derby. Where they've where they've come from since that uh, that day at Carrow Road, where we we finally thought Derby had started to to kickstart their season, and of course, other, other than a you know a, a bit of a decent run through the mid mid season in January time, Derby have been pretty shocking. Uh, I think it's fair to say. How dis- how worrying is it for Saturday to come round in a game that 
you know, Dob, Dob have got to still win. They've, they've got to get, they've got to try and get some points out of it. And I did actually think about it that I appreciate who's cut. I appreciate, especially after last night, I appreciate how good Norwich are. But I, I still see Derby's best chance of picking up points and getting staying out, staying away rege- relegation is from results at home. Have Derby got any chance at home on Saturday? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. I think as Derby fans, we always there's always a couple of good performances, Jacob and Connor, and it it's like okay, Derby's about to turn the corner, and then they don't know really where the corner is. The corner keeps shifting uh, down the road, and it is it is dangerous, Jason. Um, you know when you look at Norwich. We've just said there, they need five points to guarantee promotion. So do you think they're going to go, well, we don't need to win this game against Derby? No, they want to take care of it as soon as possible. Like Connor says, they want to enjoy themselves. They want to try to, you know, win the league. They want to do these things. They're still gunning for these different things. So it's going to be very difficult um, to, to do that. And this squad's very well equipped. They've got a lot of attacking things. And I think Norwich have scored more goals in the game yesterday than Derby probably have scored in a month. And I know they scored seven yesterday, which is the same amount as Colin Kazim Richards has as an individual, which is Derby's top scorer, uh, Jacob and Connor, uh, for the season. So it's very interesting and it's very dangerous. Um, and I think, you know, to be fair, I thought that um, Derby were very fortunate in the first game of the season to, to get to get a victory. It pulled a little bit of magic out. And those things happen a couple times a season. All these teams go through that, right? Um, and so it was, it was, it was fortunate for, for Darwin to get the three points there. It was a crucial three points because I think it was the last win that well, only win Taku had uh, of the season. Um, and it, it is, it is dangerous. So my only hope Jason is that um, Norwich have used all their goals up uh, in on Tuesday and they, you know, they, they go, well, we've used our allotment of goals. We can't find the back of the net, but yeah, it's scary. I don't think that they'll get shellacked um, like probably Huddersfield would, because I think Darby would, I think if it was starting to go that way with goal difference, I would hope not because the goal difference would would get obviously get trashed and then that would sink you down further down the table. But I would expect Darby to be set up a little bit more defensively, even at home, because I think if you try to go out and you would try to attack Norwich, um, if you try to counterattack Norwich or attack Norwich at all or try to have anything like that, they're going to pick you off. I think Norwich are going to have most of the possession, most of the play. Um, and I and I can see and I can see Norwich winning. Yeah. I'd have to say the same. One, one slight caveat again, just to try and drag a positive out of it, as it is a Derby County podcast after all. You know, Bournemouth have come to come to Pride Park this season and we beat them. Swansea's come to Pride Park this season and we've beat them. Uh, you know, they, they are small things that we're clutching on, but you know, they are they are teams that were were flying at the time, and you know, Derby managed to managed to find a way past them with that with that little bit of magic. But I think. Everything on top of that, like you say, Norwich is just still gunning down. I think if it was already sewn up, it might be a little bit of a different game. But I think the other thing that obviously you guys might not know about, but Derby's injuries record just recently, I think they've got like nine nine members of the squad out They're over like the last two weeks. Out, yeah, yeah, that's that's a big worry. That is a big big worry, and I don't know how many of them are actually fit for Saturday. Um, probably not too many. I know one of our main centre-offs, Matt Clark, he's he's probably going to be missing, which we saw uh, on Easter Monday against uh, Reading that Derby's calamitous defending in a game that technically Derby should have wandered out of there with at least a point with the way that they played. Um, our back line, other than our first choice, is not, is not strong. And I've got a feeling that Unfortunately, that's the way that Derby are going to have to go on Saturday. So the likes of Pookie and Wemdy and all the others who have got, you know, got a, got a smell for it after last night, they're going to they're going to come up against a really weakened back line, which which I'm a little bit worried about, to be perfectly honest with you. But you know, these things happen. Um, 
stranger things have happened and i'm from a derby's perspective i'm just hoping that you know we can we can get somewhere um Corey, i mean is there anything else that you want to discuss or, or is have we got a just a quick time for for a score prediction yeah jason i do have one more thing to add we are going to go to our quick fire five segment jacob connor you weren't here for the quick fire five last time so Fortunately, you'll be here for the world-famous Quick Fire Five this time. So five questions we're going to ask, and we're going to get each of you to um, to, to give a couple thoughts real quick. Uh, some of the answers are like a one-word thing. Some of them are a little bit longer, so we just want to hear out your, your things. Okay, so this Norwich team, is it better equipped to, ha- to handle the Premier League next season than the team that went up two years ago? Jacob, we'll come to you first. Yes, yeah, sorry, I was just having a little think. I was trying to compare and contrast, but yeah, in terms of, yeah, like I was saying, it had a lot of defensive inadequacies a couple of years ago with the correct um, purchasing of, in a couple of uh, positions. And if you keep Emi Buendia, which is fingers crossed, I'm not sure, so sure about Aaron's, but fingers crossed for Emi Buendia, then yeah, we will be better equipped and hopefully be able to compete and uh, no offence, not be talking about Derby and again in two years time <laughs> yeah I would, yeah I, I would agree I think Norwich are better equipped whether the, whether or not that's going to be enough to keep them in the division I think is is probably another question but um as as per Jacob I think a lot of it will hinge on who they recruit and how well they replace some of the players they're going to lose um Aaron's being one Ollie Skip being another potentially so um so yeah I, I think if they get those right then they're, they're certainly in a better position for me than two years ago We've talked a lot about these players um, that have come through. Obviously, Timu Puki, Emi Buendia, Todd Cantwell. Um, who's in who's in red hot form right now for Norwich that that Darby need to be aware of? But I mean, after a seven 0 win, that's kind of a loaded <laughs> question. Pretty much everybody, but the bus will be on fire. But um, who, who who's the who's kind of the main informed players right now? Buendia. All I have to say is I could lord him all day. I the the only advice I would do is try and use the dark arts on him. Try and kick him. Try and wind him up because he does have a. Uh, a reaction in him. He will get frustrated. Sometimes that can work against you and then he'll go and run past your whole team, set up Puki or someone else. And then sometimes he'll lash out. Um, that's probably the only way you can kind of deal with him at times. He is in scintillating form. Todd Catwell played really well last night and his movement is is superb at this level. Puki was, yeah, against Preston, he missed three glorious chances and against Huddersfield, he scores all three chances. So, you don't know which team Rufuki's coming up, but again, I wouldn't want to give him a chance. Ollie skipping that midfield is brilliant. To be honest, I, I couldn't give you a player that's out of form at the moment. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's as good as it ha- has been at this, se- at this stage of the season, really, for Norwich. Can't I, I would, I, yeah, I would, I would say the same. <laughs> I think it's, it's very difficult to... Um... To give you any, I guess, uh, like I mentioned earlier, maybe a, I'll, I'll give you an area that potentially you can target. So I think Jacob's listed all, all the all, all the names there. Andrew Omabamadile, who's an 18-year-old playing a, alongside Grant Hanley at centre back, because both Ben Gibson and Christoph Zimmerman uh, looks like their seasons are are over. So it'll only be his third senior start for Norwich. So again, potentially maybe an area to to exploit for Derby. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty tough to sort of find a weakness in this Norwich side at the moment. I'm not going to try to pronounce the center half's name because you've done it twice immaculately. And I was practicing it beforehand and I can't do it as well. And I'm just going to embarrass myself. Um, Connor, who's, who's not in form right now for Norwich? Anybody? 
Kit Man, Water Boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. Some I, I watched some of those um, warm up jackets that they had on. Some of them weren't ironed. So yeah, maybe maybe the Kit Man. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, I'm struggling. I guess you, you've probably looked at the bench. Marco Stephenman's just coming back from um, this sort of bizarre illness. They're not sure if it was long COVID or whether it was um, uh, this Epstein-Varr virus, which is uh, essentially attacks the immune system. So he's coming back to fit as Kieran Dow. I think there's probably an argument to say he's probably got a little bit more to prove if he wants to nail down that number 10 spot. Um yeah, and beyond that, it's it's pretty tough. So I think to to give you anyone who's who's out of form, but uh, but but look, it's, it's why we love football, isn't it? The results like the 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 reverse fixture happen, but it's very difficult to see any who's who, any side being capable of of stopping Norwich when they're in full flow. So um, yeah, I think Jacob's right. It's going to come down to to how well Derby can frustrate them, and of course they've already managed that this season. So. If, if you're looking for maybe a rare sort of ray of, of optimism, maybe that's that. Maybe it's the fact that they have frustrated and they have beaten Norwich. And I think they're, they're still the only team to beat Norwich at Carrow Road. So, um, so yeah, I think it's not it's not impossible. It's very difficult, I think, if you watch Norwich every week to see them drop, well, losing games at the moment. I think you could pro- probably foresee a draw in, in sort of, like Jacob said, the Preston and Blackburn games were very frustrating. But um, yeah, not too many players that are, that are struggling for form at the minute. And Tim Krul, the goalkeeper, um, famous because he did some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff in a penalty shootout in the World Cup. I think it was semifinal um, back in Brazil in 2014. Um, Tim Krul, back in the Dutch squad, uh, possibly on the plane to the Euros. Uh, how, how instrumental has he been this season? Yeah, he had a big injury. Um, was it his start in the end, Connor? But he was out for 10 games, wasn't he? And yeah, we had to replace him with Michael McGovern, who then also got injured. And then we had Dan Barden, who came in, who his first couple of starts with Norwich just been a lot of adaptation this year. If, if someone's been a key player out, then someone else has filled the void and done pretty much well. I'd say the only weakness before I go on to Tim Krul, maybe if I'm really pulling at it, maybe Dimi Janoulis at left back. He does really like to bomb forwards. And I haven't seen massive amounts of ability defensively yet. I think he's improved as he's come on. But I think if you're going down a side, I wouldn't bother with Max Ahrens because... He is, yeah, Premier League quality. So I'd leave him alone and maybe try and target Janoulis if Kazim Richards is fit. Physicality, Janoulis isn't the strongest. Um, and yeah, Andy O, again, Corey, like, like you say, I'm not going to even try and pronounce his last name because it is, <laughs> it's, yeah, too tricky. We'll let Connor deal with that one. But um, back to Tim Krull, yeah. I'd love to see him start. He started the last couple of, or three games for Holland um, with, uh, I think it was Sillerton out injured. It'd be brilliant to see him at the Euros. And uh, yeah, he's been, he's kept so many clean sheets and he's just been a fantastic free transfer. We, we talk a lot about Timmy Puki being the best free transfer, but Tim Krull was by far our best player last season by an absolute country mile. And again, this year, he's just looked so, so secure. And as you all know, uh, a good goalkeeper makes 10, 15 points up, especially when you're gunning for um, promotion. And I would have to, my last question has to focus on, I was going to, I was going to go an entire Norwich thing without mentioning, but I feel like I have to, because it's an obligatory thing you have to talk about with Norwich. And that's none other than Delia Smith. Uh, she's cooking up stuff in the boardroom. She's cooking up promotion. Um, Delia Smith, what have you heard from her this season? Uh, I see, obviously she must be thrilled with it. And uh, how much love do you have for, for Delia? Connor? In terms of what we've heard, very little. I think she's, um, She's quite rare as a football owner where she just appoints people in a job and, and lets them get on with it. I think if there's a criticism maybe to be 
had beyond the whole maybe lack of finance, which is certainly sort of thrown in Norwich's direction. For example, when they get relegated from the Premier League, um, even when they're getting promoted from, from the Championship, it seems to be a criticism for some. Um, so, so you hear very little from her on the football front. She's actually not been to, to very many games this season because of her age, because of the threat of, of COVID, but also because of solidarity with fans. And I think what what makes her quite unique is uh, with her husband, Michael Wynne-Jones, as well. That They're Norwich fans. You don't get that really from, from an owner and you kind of touched upon Derby's potential takeover. It's not like the the guy coming in, um, Alonso is, is a Derby fan or whatever. He's a businessman. With those two, they're, they're Norwich fans. So you've essentially got a situation where the club is owned by the fans, albeit indirectly. And I think that's really important because you know that, OK, the decisions might not always be right, but in terms of the interest and in terms of um, being in the right place, they're, they're always kind of there. And, and I think that's why people have respect for, for her both in and out of the game. Um, because I think even if you, if you put a league table up in terms of wealth of championship owners, her and, and, and Michael would be right near the bottom. Um, and it just goes to show, I think, what they've tried to do in the last two decades, which is to try and prove people wrong, to try and build a successful football team without necessarily having to spend a lot of money. And you look at Norwich over the last 20 years since they've been there, and I think you say they've done that very successfully. Their record is tremendous in terms of promotions. Um, so, yeah, very well respected. There's probably a tad bit of frustration maybe that Norwich could attract a better owner could maybe push a, a little bit higher but then you get into the debate about image and whether that is what Norwich City want to be and and, and yeah so it's it's kind of probably need a whole podcast for, for that sort of conversation but I, I would say by the vast majority not by all of them but certainly by the vast majority she's very well respected and, and, and very well liked. Jacob similar sentiments do you have Delia Smith cookbooks in your bedroom? Yeah, no, spot on. Now, whilst, yeah, not the cookbooks, um, I would be, yeah, I, I would say she is by far, for me, one of the best owners in, in England because of the way she cares. Like, like you're saying about potential your new owners and how up in the clouds it is. You look at Sheffield Wednesday with Chantry and how quickly it can go wrong. Whilst a lot of Norwich fans, yes, under the surface, me included, would love to be able to spend, spend a load of money and be able to be in around the top 10 of the Premier League it can go quickly very wrong and you can go and be a Portsmouth and go and end up in League Two. I know they're back up and improving now, but or a Bolton, for example, a Wigan. There's so you can name or you can list off so many clubs that have risked it all and it really, really backfired. And for me, yeah, with, with everything that's gone on, like Connor said, you will never doubt that their best interests, whilst while they don't always get the decisions right, they are fully Norwich core is the core of the club and the fans, most importantly are the core interest of, of what they're doing and what they're all about. And with Stuart Webber, four years ago, just a couple of days ago, he uh, was appointed and that's probably the best business they've ever done because he manages the whole club now and has done an incredible job with the finances he's been given to, um, to kind of deliver it all, really. And yeah, the, the, we are in the best place we could possibly be with, with everyone at the club at the moment. Before we uh, before we say our goodbyes for probably like you mentioned earlier, uh, Jacob, probably for more than one season potentially, um, I, I, I want to try and end from from a Derby's perspective on a on a positive about the game on Saturday. Um, and I'm just I really I'm clutching at straws here, but you know I'm looking I'm looking at some of the results this season. Um, you know Norwich's 
yeah, and I'm looking down them as we're talking now. I mean, you know, th- there's been a few squeaky ones in there. Can I say maybe an odd draw here and there? But no, let, let's let's be let's be fully honest. Norwich coming to Pride Park on on Saturday scares the life out of me, especially after last night, um, because we played Uddersfield not three four weeks ago, and I'd say our defence is worse than theirs. So that, that's my worry at this moment in time, and. You know, again, a, a similar Uddersfield are by no means safe at the minute, and so for for that kind of performance to come out of them, you know that that's not that's not great. I just hope Derby's battling qualities are a little bit better on Saturday, and I think I won't be the only person. Corey probably back me up on this. We we've called out Derby's battling qualities this season and and application and, and desire uh, and things like that. I think it's fair to say it's it's probably going to be a bit of a mismatch on Saturday, and I, th- I think Derby have just got to hope that Norwich are kind of off, have a bit of an off day. Um, I can't see that they will, especially after given I'd say given on given on last night's result. I don't think I've ever seen a team win seven nil one one game and then four days later lose. So you know I, think, I don't think that's very often. I don't think that happens very often, but. Um, I mean, Corey, ju- just for the final few minutes before we give a score prediction, let's let's just have a think about like what Derby could potentially come up with on on Saturday. As I say, I think the team the team's limping towards the line. It's it's probably the last thing that we wanted, and it's it's one thing really this season that Derby haven't actually suffered with all too much this year, bar Christian Bielik, who who was out in January, and obviously he's out for for the next few months, but. Other than that, Dobby's actually been quite lucky with injuries, I think, this season. Um, normally, we always get one or two niggly ones, and I don't think we've necessarily had them this year. And then right at, right at the death where we don't want them, they're all starting to come They're all starting to come in. I think all four, th- certainly three out of our first-choice strikers are injured. One of them in Kazim Richards, I don't think is 100% fit. You've got two of our centre-offs, two of our first-choice centre-offs out, possibly out. Um, we've got our right back. And you were saying if you were going to pick a, a fault with Norwich, it was down down the left back side. Well, our strongest side is definitely down the right, 100%. With Nathan Byrne and, and normally Kamil Yozviak, or uh, who, who would play on the, that right hand side. Unfortunately, Byrne went off on Monday with concussion, so I think that's a seven day rule for him. So I don't think he's going to make it, which would probably mean we're going to have um, either an 18 year old at, at right back who hasn't necessarily it's harsh to say hasn't impressed because he's only played a couple of times in in mcdonald Cornell mcdonald but they could shuffle the back line around as well which would mean uh andre wisdom drops into right back i think it's probably the way that derby will go if burns definitely out because of the concussion rule i think it is um i would fully expect wisdom to play at right back and if that's the case he won't go nowhere other than stay in his right back position so Derby are going to be going to be lacking, I think, on that right hand side. That's normally their strong point, as you say. Max Aaron's and know all about Max Aaron's. Um, Derby just Tom Lawrence. Then in that case, is probably not going to have the greatest greatest of days at all. So Derby's focus is going to be down that middle, and obviously with with Ollie Skip if he plays in there, or, or Todd Campwell, or Kieran Dowell, or you know whatever partnerships in there, it it just reads a bit too much for Derby Corey, doesn't it? With just with the way that Derby have been over the last few weeks. It does, and the season's really kind of bookending itself, Jason. We talk about the ebbs and flows of a season. It's really bookending itself. When you look at the front part of the season, um, Derby basically had all the forwards who were out injured, came back late. That 
coalesced with it and an uptick in form. Um, and now towards the back end of the season, you've got injuries at the back line. You have a few injuries up front as well, Lee Gregory, Martin Waghorn, um, to name a few. Uh, but mostly, like you said, the back lines, basically, you're, you're, you're Connor, Jacob, you, you're looking at third and fourth strings on the depth chart here. Uh, players that would be, you know, not potentially even making the bench. Um, so, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how Darby set up defensively. I think the key player for Darby is going to be Tom Lawrence uh, since he's come back and into the side. He's, he's obviously scored the worldly of a goal, which we were talking about beforehand, Jacob. Um, but he scored a worldly of a goal, and he is by far Darby's most influential player, bar Christian Bielik. He's sorry. He's Darby's second most influential player overall, the most important, the most important, most influential player who is fit currently. Um, and he's been on a tear since he's come back into this side and, and started to play well, which is fantastic for Tom Lawrence because he is so important to the way Darby play. And he can add that extra bit of flair and that creativity that Darby need. Um, but yeah, Darby looking a bit lightweight in, in various areas. Jason Knight has kind of, his form has kind of regressed a little bit from last year. Um, Max Bird is kind of still the same kind of player that he was last year, although we could have had kind of hoped that he would kick on a bit. Um, I think Graham Shinney, if anyone's going to kick Emmy Buendia early, it's going to be Graham Shinney, the Scottish Pirlo, because that's what Graham Shinney does. He runs around for 90 minutes like a nut job and he kicks people, which is fantastic. And you can guarantee go take that to the betting shop. He's going to get booked. And that's OK, because that's what Graham Shinney does. And if that's what wins you football games, that's what wins you football games. Um, the goalkeeper is a lot more solid this year and David Marshall. Um, so, yeah, for me, Jason, it, it's Tom Lawrence. And I think while you have Tom Lawrence and you have creativity and his flair, I think you're going to stand a chance in this game. But that being said, I don't think there are too many options around Tom Lawrence that can um, potentially potentially turn this game, which will be unfortunate from a, from a Derby perspective. Yeah, and I think obviously I appreciate it was we you know we played Monday. It's that extra day. Who knows what difference that makes? Uh, just for just for one or two of those niggly you know niggly bits and pieces. But I mean, you can't compare really the two the two sides. It's it's pretty obvious. One one's at the top and one's fourth from bottom or fifth from bottom, whatever we are at the minute. Fight, fighting still, scrapping for our lives. And you know, I, I look at it and think, you look at the likes of Wickham, and there's no disrespect to any of these clubs, Wickham. I don't think anybody really expected them to pull up any trees this year. Sheffield Wednesday and what a tormentous season they've had on and off the field. And you look at the other quality down there and, you know, Derby right in the mid, right in the middle of that. They're not, they're not even, you know, they're just keeping their heads above water at the moment. And it's a sad sight to see from a Derby perspective, because I didn't realize it probably takes looking at a fact, at facts and stats like that to realize just how bad actually Derby are. Because for, for all, certainly Monday, I, I, I take Reading as a prime example down at the Medeski. We battered them for 45 minutes. We hit the post twice. The keeper pulls off three brilliant saves. But then just at the point where you think, right, Derby are in this game, they go and make two massive defensive errors. Five minutes before the end of the first half, five minutes into the second half. And the game's out. The game's gone. It's certainly a, a team of Reading's, what was what shown to be Reading's quality this season. You know, you don't need to give them kind of teams helping hands. And, and that's where I think Saturday's, whilst I'm not knocking the quality of Norwich, I think Norwich are going to find it very easy because Derby will rat, but they will, they do make mistakes. They, a back line where three out of the five of them are under 23, it, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, they've, they've probably not got a hundred championship appearances between them, our back line. So just goes to show you, we are trying to build something different, but at the moment, you know, when, when you're in a relegation dogfight, it's not what you want. You want experience. And unfortunately, as we've just mentioned, our experiences unfortunately fell away through injury. So I just, it, it's a case of if not when, 
um, sorry, when if not if on Saturday, it really is. And it's just by how many, uh, how, how many it is. Obviously, there's still uh, for both teams, uh, uh, polar opposites of, of of the of the table. There's still massive games. Nothing's going to be defined on Saturday. Um, there's there's bigger challenges coming for for both for both teams and. I wouldn't be surprised to see if Norwich get on top early and get you know get a couple within the first half and out very similar to what they did last night. Derby will shut up shop. I, I can't see Derby pushing. I really can't because there'll just be no point. I can see eleven men behind the ball and it'll be just like a training game for Norwich. Um, and I think same sentiments you guys will probably be able to point out the same. If you do do something similar to last night, just to, why would you push when you've probably got another game coming on Tuesday? You know, save save the tank because I just don't. I can't see Derby putting that much fight up. But I've been proven wrong in the past. We we thought Bournemouth were going to come to Derby as I mentioned earlier. We thought Swansea were going to come to Derby and tear Derby apart. They didn't do that. We in both games we scored within I think the first five minutes and we caught them. Um, and they didn't really know what to do with us at that point. Um, so I've got to hope something something similar happens, certainly from a Derby's perspective, on Saturday. But that first that first five ten minutes, if oh, of course if you pick up from where you left off last night, you'll you'll blow Derby out of the water without any any trouble. I wouldn't have thought. Score prediction, Jason. Um, I actually before last night, um, having thought of like Reading's game against Reading, where Derby actually played all right for the majority of it, I was I was looking at this one going just try and get a point out of it. Just keep Derby's points tally ticking ticking along. Uh, after last night, of course, that just goes to show you that, you know, when Norwich turn it on, they can they can turn it on. I know Huddersfield aren't great. I'm not going to stand here and say that they're, they're that good because they're not. Uh, even we beat them, for God's sake. But I, I think my, my, my heart says 1-1. I think Derby have a chance of getting something out of the game, but I think my head tells me something completely different. Um... And I think I'm going to go uh, Norwich, but I'll go 3-1, three, three, I think. 3-1 to Norwich. Connor? Yeah, I've, I've, yeah I, I can't see anything other than, than a Norwich win, I'm afraid. Um, and I think specifically because of what I said earlier, I think Swansea are playing in the early game. So that might be one to, to keep an eye out of because if they drop points... And Brentford drop points and Norwich win, then promotion's confirmed. So we'll have a good idea um, as we kick off at, at Pride Park, perhaps whether Norwich stand a chance of, of actually doing it on Saturday. And if they do, then I think it look it's going to be incredibly difficult for Derby to to halt them in, in their tracks. I think there's a resilience to this Norwich side, a relentlessness to this Norwich side. Um, they were 5-0 up at half-time. They could have um, come out and, and and really taken their foot off the accelerator and, and allowed Huddersfield a couple of goals and maybe taken the gloss off their performance. That wasn't the case. They scored two more goals. They kept a clean sheet. Um, we saw Daniel Farker at the end of the game speaking to to Omar delay because of his positioning at a throw-in that wasn't quite right. And that just shows the relentlessness that... Um, sort of um, quest for perfection, if you like, that the Norwich have. And um, they're just so unrelenting. And I don't think they're going to ease up here, to be honest. So um, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Norwich win. Jake, Connor's just showing off now with that pronunciation, isn't he? I, I'm just trying to get it in as many times as I can. Perfect. One more time, Connor. Do it one more time. Andrew Omabamadele. There you go. Oh, 
<laughs> he's just <laughs> showing you off. You can tell he's been using practicing that for a very long time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Well, I remember like the last time we talked to one another, and yeah, again, you thought Derby would get battered. For me, I, I wasn't surprised we lost that game because it was typical of Norwich. Then I think, like Jason was saying, first five ten minutes, if you're aggressive and you really go at Norwich, it will probably surprise them to begin with. But then you've got to be clever of when to switch off that press because. Like we saw with Huddersfield yesterday, they just kept doing it, and Norwich just picked them off time after time, and it was it was actually just so easy. It was it was actually painful to watch at times if you're not a Norwich fan because it was just embarrassing. Um, you've got to do the dark arts right as well. You know, get long throws, play the second balls, and like you're saying, Corey, with Graham Shinney, you need eleven Graham Shinneys there on Saturday to have any chance. Kick everyone, hurt everyone, and play very dirty to the letter of the law as much as you can. Um, for me, like I said, I, I've got to agree with Connor. I think we'll outclass and win 2 0. But if you get the first goal, then shut up shop. It will be more tricky. But yeah, when, when you're saying with, with all the derby injuries and Norwich just so flying high at the minute, I, I, and with with the, the finishing line in sight, like Connor was saying, Daniel Farker will have absolutely no let up. He will want this win, no draw in, in mind. This is a must win game for Norwich because we want to get it done as soon as possible. So yeah, I think it'll be 2 0. Hopefully routine, but yeah, and um, it'll be nice to see us just keep winning. <laughs> well, I think you know when we when we when we spoke back in the autumn, Connor and Jacob, you gave me a saying, uh, and it was called "Along Come Norwich." Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I looked at yeah. I looked at I think the last two games that Norwich have lost at home in the last two and a half years have both been Derby or some, oh, some crazy thing like yeah. that. So along come Norwich again, um, and I was you know I'm I was in here and I was thinking I'll be a little bit different. I'll go with a draw. Um, but then you, you know, obviously you had to tell me about all the injuries again, uh, which I had momentarily <laughs> forgotten about. And then obviously, like Connor said, by the time this game kicks off, Norwich might need a win to win this game. Um, and as much as I'd like to say that Darby are capable of getting a draw, because as Jason said earlier, Darby have pulled out wins against Bournemouth and Swansea at home out of nowhere on a poor run of form. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think Norwich they, they've got too much to lose here, and I think this game's more important for them than it is for Derby. Not, I mean, obviously it's important for Derby. The, they're all important. Don't get me wrong, but I think the way they're going to set up, they're not going to be like this. Take this team lightly. I think they're going to treat it the same way that they did Huddersfield, and look what they did to them. Um, and I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go with a. I'm not. I'm not going to say three nil like Jason. I'm going to go with a two nil like Connor and Connor and Jacob. I think um, Norwich is just going to be. No, Jason said three one. I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm going to say two nil. Uh, because I think uh, Norwich are just going to be that much better. And I think by the time that that final whistle blows, Norwich could be back in the Premier League, which would be an, an amazing achievement for them. Jason? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to fully I'd have to fully agree. Um, and I don't think there's really much more than we can say, other than, as I said, thank you to, to Connor and Jacob for coming on. And I, I, I normally always say it's great to speak to you and hopefully we'll see you again soon. But obviously in your case, you're hoping that you don't see us again soon. Certainly not Certainly not the next season anyway. But obviously, you know, credit where credit's due. I think me and Corey both both will do that. Credit where credit's due. And, you know, after, what, usually six, six games left, you've got, an, I'd say, a comfortable enough gap now. I think it's fair to say, you know, at this point of the season with that many points, um, that many points in in front, it's it's no fluke. Norwich have been the best team in this division, fully deserve to go up. Um, yeah, we can roll it back to the beginning of the podcast where we said that the quality of this league isn't, isn't great this season. And I'd have to agree, I don't think it is. And that puts Derby in an even worse light than we, we probably covered over the last 45 minutes to an hour. But 
the end of the day, all you can do is beat what's in front of you. You've done that more more times than enough um, to, to get yourself up there. Obviously, I have to say, I hope that you don't do it on Saturday, but I can't see that you, uh, certainly for Derby's own sake anyway, but I can't see you not, not winning it um, and winning it quite comfortably in the end. But thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hopefully, our paths meet again at some point in the next couple of years. Hopefully, hey, you never know, we both might be in the Premier League, who knows, but... Aaron, I think Jason, it's a it's a it's a it's a sad it's a sad kind of thing because I've enjoyed our chats with Connor and Jake and we've talked to him throughout the season and it feels like we're saying goodbye to a couple of friends. It's just like Good. goodbye, and it's the first time that we ever waved goodbye to a couple of people on the podcast. But I think <laughs> you know, lads, we've obviously loved to have you on. We'd love to speak to you next year, but you guys aren't going to be bothered talking about us when you're in the Premier League. Uh, you know, giving it to the likes of Man City and Man United. But like Jason says, you know, thanks for coming on and we appreciate it and all the best for the season. We hope. Um, we'll be speaking to you in the Premier League because that's what Rooney's goal is for next season. It's promotion. So the season after that, your second season will be our first and we will we will tag up there. How's that sound? Sounds Spot good on. to me. <laughs> Sounds good. Cheers, gents. Cheers. Yeah, Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Speak to you later. Um, so it's the f- we, we thought we'd add a little bit to the end of the podcast. It's the first time that we've done it for a bit. We keep saying that we're going to do more reviews and stuff. We just we just haven't got around to it. And of course, after the two week break, where hopefully, fingers crossed, listeners enjoyed uh, our chats with Steve Nicholson and of course Paul Green. Plenty more ex players coming up. Uh, anybody who saw our cryptic message out on Twitter last week got an absolute cracker coming out in the close season, which is vastly coming upon us, Corey. Um, but of course. After the Easter period, there was two games. We thought we'd have to just touch on those and a bit of breaking news that's actually really breaking news because it only came out about three hours ago. So we'll come on to that in a little minute. But first, um, obviously, just before the Easter break, Corey, we had that ridiculously poor performance and result at Stoke. And then, of course, back after the two weeks, refresh, refocus, eight games to go, some real tasty ones in there and we made that we made that that looting game really had to be as about as much win as you could get without calling it win. and I'd have to say managed to catch the game and I thought for the large majority of the game Derby played quite well actually I mean we did I did a piece we contributed to a piece for, for Sky Sports News website not so long ago, where we said, look, performances just don't matter at the moment. It's last eight games, it's all about results. Um, but obviously, I'm not going to not take a, a good performance in there as well because that, that that aids breeding confidence. But you know, the, the Luton performance was everything that we needed it to be. Uh, nice early goal. Um, yes, Luton had their chances, and if they'd have been a bit more clinical, A, they probably wouldn't be 13th, 14th in the league. They'd probably be a little bit higher. But, you know, they they, they would have caused Derby a, a few more few more issues. Is it Abar, Abar, uh, whatever his name is up front for Luton, Abajaro, something like that, um, caused no end of difficulties for Derby. And if his shooting boots had been on, they could have easily could have easily pulled themselves in back into that game. A bit like we were talking to Connor and Jacob earlier, it's... It's game management, and it's, it's you know you you have to play who you come up against. And at that time, the finishing from Luton wasn't strong enough. It's simple as that. They didn't go in the back of the net. Derby's chances did go in the back of the net. A penalty from Graham Shinney as well. First penalty that we've had in quite some time. I would I would have to say. Can't actually remember the last one. Um, 
But I think if you were to review it as at this point in the season, it's it was three points that were needed to chalk it off and, and move on to what was obviously going to be a tougher game um, down at Medeski against Reading. And I thought, by and large, didn't get to see the game, unfortunately. Uh, but by and large, from what I heard uh, on Radio Derby, Derby were in the game. And just at crucial moments in the game, uh, the first one I've seen it, it's fair enough. It's, you know, you, you can, we've said it on this podcast before, you can pick fault with every goal conceded because it's always somebody's fault, wherever it may well be on the pitch. You lay that one down to a good strike and it was pretty much against the run of play. And then, of course, just after, you know, that, that second goal goes in, which is calamitous defending from from Derby. It's not it's not great at all. Um, Kazian Richards, who, you know, you, you would mark as one of, the, one of the better headers of a ball, looked as if he was trying to head it back to the goalkeeper and in the end he was well well beaten um and you know okay marshall gets the original the original parry but the follow-up again the reaction times of defense we mentioned it a little bit earlier our defense is lacking a little bit obviously clark wasn't involved against reading um and it just highlights where derby are at the moment and then in that kind of a game where you just thought derby we're going to huff and puff and not get you know not put and get anything too much out of it. Tom Lawrence finds finds the top corner from 25 yards out, and and it was game on. And then of course the one thing that you don't do as soon as you've just con- uh, as soon as you've just scored is is concede. You know keep it keep it tight for five minutes. And again, it's poor defending. It's too easy. Luca Jow's only just come on the pitch. It's his first touch. You know it's it's not good enough from Derby, and we we'll, we've picked faults with Derby's defence quite a bit. Again, Matt Clark, I don't think you can ruin rule out how important Matt Clark is to that back line. I don't think you notice how good he is until he's out of it. Um, and obviously, it's not been the strong strongest area of Derby all season, but it's certainly worse without him. Obviously, losing Nathan Byrne as well, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, that's a massive miss because you can just see what we are seeing now at the wrong time, unfortunately, is that depth again those signings that were made in January to try and ease the load a little bit, just to try and add a little bit more depth into the squad. Three or four of that, you know, two or three of those at least, I think, if not four are out. A couple more first teamers injured and we look paper thin again. Um, and, you know, in the end, it was it was a comfortable victory. I think anybody would probably look at that who had not seen the game and gone routine win for Reading. I think it was, in all fairness, nothing but. Um, but at the end of the day, Derby come out of it with nothing. And that's... Obviously, that's the stat that sticks. So, and ask your thoughts on those two games in a second, Corey. And then, of course, as I say, look look on to the next one, which obviously we've just covered. But it's going to be it's going to be an absolute hell of a hell of a journey, uh, hell of a hell of a game on on Saturday to try and get anything out of Norwich. And I think we, when we looked, like we said, we the Luton game was massive. Something out of those next two, even if it just be one point, four out of the nine was probably not a bad turn. Derby needed at least that. Um, okay, we're only on three at the minute, so that means we've got to try and, and come up against the league leaders on, on Saturday and, and try and take a probably un, unexpected point. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a term that Roy Keane termed uh, talking about Liverpool, and I'm not comparing Derby to Liverpool here, but what I am doing is I'm using the term mentality monsters. Um and mentality minnows. And that's what Darby are at the moment. They're mentality minnows, Jason, in my opinion. You know, you've come off of a 
a pretty solid performance. Uh, well, sorry, a dour performance against Stoke. You go into the international break. They look like, oh, we're going to get some things right against Luton. The front three looked really, really good. Lee Gregory, Martin Waghorn, uh, Louis Sibley all combining very well. Got a goal, really put Luton on the back foot. Um, unfortunately, they were unfortunate with the with the, um, with the the injuries. But then you would hope, okay, we've built on Luton. Now let's go into this Reading game and let's give that um, a good go. Problem with the Reading game um, they didn't. Yeah. You get a three, one, you get, you, you lose three, one. Yeah. You can sit there and you can say, well, Darby played well for a large swath of the game. Darby did this, Darby did this, you know, Darby looked okay. Yeah. And Darby still lost the game three, one. And I think, you know, if we are, if this club, if this team is in mid table or this team is challenging for the playoffs, you can kind of take, um, or in any sort of form, you can sit there and you can say, Oh yeah, then definitely we would love to, um, have, uh, we would definitely take the performance any day of the week um, over the result. Um, but in the situation that Darby you're in, you have to get points on the board. You have to get those things. You don't have the ability to, to sit there and, and put in good performances and not get something out of the game. This is the business end of the season. Darby are in a relegation dogfight, and they need everything that they need to do to get to get this to get enough points over the board so they can stay in this division next season. Um, you know, and that's the that's the unfortunate thing, and. There is no consistency from Darby right now. Inconsistency has plagued them all season. Um, and again, unfortunately, it's reared its ugly head. And like I said earlier in the season, um, Jason, like I said earlier in the podcast, we were bookended with an injury crisis, and now we have another injury crisis at the club. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who steps up and who who really you know stands up to be counted the rest of the season. But you're dead on. The squad's looking paper thin, and it's a real concern, and it must be a real concern for them at boardroom level because if this team was to go down, the financial implications of this team would the, the financial implications of relegation would be absolutely catastrophic for this football club. Um, and you know where they would be in a year's time or eighteen months time would be a, obviously a much different place because they'd be in a lower league, but the business end of that club would be, would be basically trashed. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, what else they have to, um, how else they finish this season. We've already talked about the Norwich game, um, but now you look ahead to Sheffield Wednesday, you look ahead to Birmingham. Those are, those are two massive games. You've got Preston who are around Darby. You've got Blackburn who have, whose form's fallen off a cliff. They're in around Darby. So you've got four teams there out of your last, uh, six, really six games, including Norwich. You've got four teams there that are right there in and around and in your neighborhood. And you have to win those games. Those are must win games. Um, but with the mentality that Darby have right now as a squad, and we've seen it all season with this inconsistency and they go a goal behind and these different things, you know, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see at the end of the season, um, where Darby are and, and how they can get over this mentality. Cause I think it's, it's the first time for, um, especially for the young players coming through Max Bird, Louis Sibley, Lou Buchanan. Um, they've always played, and Jack Stretton as well, I guess, to a degree. They've, um, and Cam Cresswell, they've, they've Cornell McDonald, they've all come in. Jason Bateman, J Joe Bateman, either. Um, Joe Bateman as well. They've all played at youth level and been very successful. So this might be the first time in their careers for a long time that they've actually struggled. Um, so it'll be interesting to see for them to be stand up and be counted. Um, and you know how that will progress for the rest of the season, um, and it'll also be interesting, you know, to see what happens to Wayne Rooney, um, you know, after this after this proposed takeover occurs, 
Jason, that clarity in the takeover news that we were talking about um, was the, a tweet earlier this morning from Darby County and Eric Alonzo saying that Darby County Football Club um, wishes to confirm that a definitive agreement to purchase the club has been reached with No Limits Sports Limited subject to EFL approval. Um, and like I said, No Limits Sports, you might remember that term uh, is actually headed, that company is actually headed by none other than Eric Alonzo, who we spoke to Dom Housen about not too long ago in our blog, which you can find on our website. Um, and Eric Alonzo is an interesting character, Jason, um, involved at Sheffield Wednesday uh, for about the last year or so, uh, was Chancery basically ran him out of Hillsborough in January as he tried to make a failed takeover of the club. He was brought in as an advisor to Chancery, but really never really did anything. He's, I think, you know, his remit was to do commercial uh, deals and things like that. There were no deals that were done. Um, he was very uh, vocal about, um, you know, wanting to, to be involved in the football club. He was telling fans and agents and players that he was the one to talk to about doing deals and things like that for signing players. And Chancery, you know, Chancery rules Sheffield Wednesday. So um, that obviously did not work out. And they had heard a couple of weeks ago from The Athletic that, um, he was in advanced talks with Darby. Obviously, that was after the period of exclusivity with uh, the Benziad group um, uh, kind of fell away. Um, and apparently they have been talking since April um, with Eric Alonzo. Obviously, we talked to Steve Nicholson about this in our previous podcast. They're not starting from scratch in these negotiations. There were several parties ongoing. One was a little bit further down the line. So, so that's why this is kind of coming to a head. Um, and again, it's the old hopefully be done by then by next week, which would be April 16th. Um, but again, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. Hey, eh? uh, we, you know, we, we've been talking about this takeover since the news broke on Halloween in October and it's still not been done. So hopefully it gets to some clarity. Now I'm sure you have some questions, Jason, like who is Eric Alonzo? What is Eric Alonzo? What's he's involved in these kind of basic things. He's a 29 year old Spanish entrepreneur and businessman. He's involved in sport. He's done a lot of boxing stuff. He has a footballing agency. Um, and, and these various different things. Like I said, he had been involved with um, uh, Sheffield Wednesday uh, up until January when he did put out a cryptic tweet that said eventually his side of the story will come out about Chance Siri, yet nothing has come out yet, um, which is fine because I'm sure he'll roll up at Darby in his Ferrari and he'll be perfectly okay uh, with that. Um, yeah, so uh, that's that's basically it, Jason. You know, he, he has an agency group. He does not have the connections, I think, of Jorge Mendez at Wolves, looking at the list of his agents that he has um, as a boxing promoter. Basically, I mean, he could be the Spanish Eddie Hearn or he could be like the three amigos. We, we don't know at this stage. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, you know, from for, from a fan's perspective, it's it's back on the merry-go-round again, isn't it? It's been it's been state it's been quoted. Uh, by by Mel a lot that he was only going to sell he was only going to sell to the club that he thought was the right man to take it forward. Now I think we've even probably touched on this before. I would think now from when those comments were originally made, eighteen months to two years ago, his opinion on getting a buyout for for Derby County that's probably changed a little bit. I'm not so confident that he will take the best deal for Derby County now. Um, and, and do you know what, Corey? I can't say you blame I can't say I blame him. At the end of the day, we know he wants out. There's been, as the, the stuff with Sheffield Wednesday, which you can read about in, in our blog, and, and, and various other bits and pieces that we've done about it, it doesn't 
fill me full of great confidence that this is the right man to take take a football to take the football club forward but i think what you've got to do is who who would be the right man you know every when the news broke we we were obviously on bbc radio derby uh sports scene when it when it broke last october and and we were pretty excited obviously then we found you know there was various various bits of information floating around that we found that weren't quite true he wasn't quite as rich as we may well thought he didn't quite have the same connections as we as we first may well have thought but that still didn't mean that it wouldn't have been a very valuable thing for the club you know as an owner but then obviously the longer that that one went on um and obviously by christmas it was pretty much as close to being as dead in the water i think everybody everybody could see it and then obviously then the mood in the camp of the fans in my opinion changed I'm not saying that, that every fan thought the same, but I know we kind of said the same thing. And then, you know, somebody else again is not a well, not necessarily well known in football. As you say, the, the biggest name, the, the biggest bit of information we know about him is his boxing stuff and his involvement in Sheffield Wednesday, which if you look at Sheffield Wednesday as a club over the last two years, you wouldn't want to touch anybody who's been involved with Sheffield Wednesday in the last two years with a barge pole, let alone, you know, taking, taking on as, you know, as the, as the owner, uh, of the club now I do appreciate I think and I, you can't quote me on this because I'm not sure but I don't think it's necessarily all his money I think it's I he, think does there is other investment. he does have Indonesian um, backers uh, yeah. for that as part of a consortium that he fronts you know Jason there's also some other issues with this as well um, when we were talking about the Benzaya group and I talked to Elijah Newsom from coming home Newcastle and we talked about BZG um, you know, there were other issues outside of these things that raised up and these things, these red flags come up with Eric Alonso as well. Um, one red flag, he's already kind of looked at other clubs in similar situations as Derby. So he's kind of, in my opinion, kind of like a vulture circling around, seeing what's mm. going on and then diving in when he sees his opportunity. Red flag. Another red flag, you know, he is um, involved with uh, an Indonesian group. Okay. Not necessarily a red flag, but you have seen this with other people who have been involved name that comes to mind, tax and Sinatra, who was at Manchester city before she- uh, Sheikh Mansour and he's in jail for, for tax evasion. So there are sometimes with, when you're dealing with, with a, a consortium of people, you can sometimes in that consortium, get a bag egg or two. Um, another red flag. He's involved in some um, pro right, political groups. Everybody's got the political opinions. I've got mine. You've got yours. Our listeners have theirs. And we're completely entitled to your opinions and we're not getting political. But when you have people who are at such an extreme side of one of one degree and you're trying to do business, kind of raises a red flag, much like BZG and the human rights, um, alleged human rights violations from Human Rights Watch that were um, that came up when he, when he was trying to, to buy the things. So, you know, I can't really criticize Mel Morris, Jason, to be honest with you. He's had a good five and a half years. And to be fair to the man, he's tried. He's tried many different ways to get this football club back up to the Premier League. It's just not worked out for him. So the hate that he gets a lot of the time from fans or, you know, calling him a fool and a clown. Yeah. Has he, has he, has he made himself out to be a genius? No. The Sam Rush saga is one of those. Paying Tommins' mom to scout is another one of those. Um, but, you know, he's tried his best. He, th- I, I always fully believe that he woke up in the morning and said, I want to try to do the best for Derby County. And I think that's all you can ask for, for an owner. He tried, it did not work. Sorry. He's fed up with putting his money in. Owning a football club is a, is a, is a, is a loser's game anyway, because you're never going to make any money out of it. And you're just going to take all your hard earned cash, basically just burn it and go down a hole. So mm-hmm. I would never want to be a football owner. It, that That's just me. Um, 
you know, so there are some red flags with Eric Alonso uh, with this group. We will see what this is like. We know that Darby have a history of owners that don't necessarily have the best um, idea of the football club in mind, uh, which is unfortunate, but it's just the nature of Darby County. It's the Darby way. Um, and, but hopefully this is a reset button going into summer where they can, they can, they can get this club. They can look at it for six games. They can go into summer and have some sort of plan and have some time to draw it up before this summer window, which is so crucial. We have talked about this before, how crucial this summer window is. They can get some clarity. They can get some idea behind that before they move on, um, into a very important, uh, close season with transfers and things like that. They can have some sort of idea and an agreement and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a wait and see, Jason, we can sit here, we can, we can speculate and we can come up with, with half-baked facts and all this stuff, all we not half-baked facts because we wouldn't do that here, but we can come out, we can be the first to, to put it into a podcast and that's fine. Um, but we will have in our Blackburn episode, um, we will have some more um, insights into Eric Alonzo, especially at his time at Sheffield Wednesday as well. And of course, if you want to read it in the meantime, you can go on our blog and check it out. Um, it's there, it's on our socials as well, but yeah, it's just, it's just a, it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting, we already said this was going to be an interesting summer, Jason, it's going to be a more interesting close season, but I think for my hope now is just get, let's, something needs to happen, okay, and I'm, I'm not sitting here and saying I'm fully in the Eric Alonzo camp, because I don't know enough right now, I don't know the lad, um, but it's a, it's a wait and see, but hopefully this deal gets done. Um, is it right for Darby? Yes, no, I don't know, that could be debated but something needs to be done at boardroom level to, to quash this conversation. So we don't need to be talking about this conversation again for, for five or six more years, hopefully, hopefully that long. Um, but, you know, because like we were saying, this is a distraction that has been dragging on for a majority of the season and it is going to cause issues. I mean, think about you at your company, at your job, if your company comes in and says, Oh, we're going to be taken over by this thing. All of a sudden you're thinking about it as a worker, you're not involved in the negotiations, but as a worker, you're thinking, well, what if they're going to replace me? What if they're going to bring a robot in? What if they're going to outsource me? You're thinking about all these different things and that's going to take levels off your performance. This situation needs to be resolved. The situation needs to get to a conclusion and we need to draw a line under it and we need to move on. And hopefully if they do that by the April 16th, which the club statement said that it did today, but again, they said 24 to 48 hours for the last six months. So whatever that means, um, it'll give them six games to, to, to recognize everything, to look at the talent or the, the players and the talent that are in the club immediately, you know, with the Academy and with the thing, and they can start planning for this very, very important off season um, and, and building, building for next season. So we will see, we will see. I think that Eric Alonso is ambitious. I think he wants to own a football club. Um, I mean, obviously he wants to own a football club. He's in by Derby County next week, but I think he's ambitious. He's young. He's, you know, he might have some different ideas and it potentially could work. It could be, it, it's, it's going to go one of two ways. Jason's either going to go spectacular, right? Spectacularly wrong because at the end of the day, this is Derby County football club. And that's kind of the only two things that Derby do. They don't go by halves. So that's my, that's my take on it. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think that, you know, you, you can take his age and go 29. That's, but he's a self-made millionaire, you know, or whatever. He, he is a millionaire at the end of the day. So, you know, no knocks on him. I th- it feels to me, and this is me personally talking, this is not me trying to put across an opinion for, for, the, for the viewers or anything like that. To, this is my personal opinion. It's a massive gamble having somebody like that taking, taking control of the football club. 
it's almost as if it's his play. It's a play toy. A 29 year old is not going to run a business. In my opinion, I don't know many 29 year olds who will run a, run a business. And football is a business now. Football's been a business for a long time. But the amount of money that is involved in a football club, it is a business. And not too many people at the age of 29 are going to have the experiences. Mel's well into his 60s. And he got decisions wrong. And he's he's a he, you know he's a multi multi millionaire. He's owned many different companies and he's had his fingers in many pies. And and he's still made f- footballing decisions wrong. So who's to say that Eric Alonso isn't going to do exactly the same? Um. But I do think I, I'll I, I've always thought Mel's wore his heart on his sleeve. He's made he's made bad decisions. He's made bad choices. But that's you've he's always had that fight between his head and his heart because he is a Derby County fan. Now, one thing that Eric Alonso will do is he'll rule with his head, and that will be the only thing. That as you've just said, that could come to uh, that that could be to Derby's detriment. That could be a, a real explosive positive we, we, we just don't know at this moment in time obviously there's not too much information knocking about about you know the backers for this deal we don't know the value we don't necessarily know the worth we don't know everything it's it's starting to come out into into mainstream media and obviously as we as we pick it up we can we can talk we can talk um but i think what it, i i it doesn't matter if they're a billionaire. I think it's one of the things that we said when BZI, uh, BZI was going to you know, take over Derby. They couldn't go in and spend a billion pounds at Derby because of FFP. So it's not going to be the big money-throwing thing anyway. From what the little that I know and understand about Eric Alonso and obviously what he's involved with with his, with his, with his sports uh, with his sports company is that obviously behind the scenes there, there's a lot of negotiation, there's a lot of deals. Like you said, one of the, he was an advisor, sort of at Sheffield Wednesday. That was probably trying to get commercial things in place. That was deals to be done. That was this, that, and the other. All those little things are needed in today's footballing world. You need to get that extra percent, however it may well may well be. If you've got Adidas on your coffee cups just to get that extra ten pence for a coffee out uh, of sponsorship, that is what clubs of Derby's level need to be, um, and. You know, I'm not going to go into this because I don't know enough about it because I've not read up enough on about it. But obviously, Derby, apparently, Derby, are in, along with ten other clubs, are in a transfer embargo at this moment in time for late, you know, for late accounts and things like that. We don't know what those accounts look like. You would have to presume that Eric Alonso will have seen the accounts. So, can we expect something to happen straight away? Is there a lot of debt shifting first? Which I presume from everything that I kind of understand is that chances are that this bid for Derby County or the buyout for Derby County is not necessarily making Mel any money. It's probably just going to clear the, clear the slate and he acquires the football club is pretty much, you know, how, how it seems, um, which will be a good footing. Derby have not been debt free for a very, very long time, Corey. And we still spent money stupidly in, in some, you know, d- decisions, that with a with a clean slate, they will be able to put those practices in place, and they will be able to sail close to the wind. But they know that their balance sheet's the right side of it. Whereas, obviously, over the past two or three years, which we've well documented on this podcast, and I don't need to tell anybody, any Derby fan, there has been financial irregularities at Derby. For however you want to put it, I'm not don't want to say anything to get myself in trouble, but there has been strange goings on within the finance department, um, and we're still waiting 
to, to see the end of some of those. So, you know, it, it's great. Somebody wants to come in and start throwing money at Derby County. That's, that's fine. It's not going to be like that. And the way, say, because of his age, the business that he's kind of coming from, for me personally, they don't come across as a long-term suitor. This could literally be a one-two season thing. See what he can get out of it. They're in it to make money. You're quite right. Football's a mugs game. Not many people make money out of it in, in terms of an ownership. But it does feel very much like it could be a throw the dice, see what happens. He knows he can bail out. He hasn't really lost anything. It does feel like that kind of, of a deal, which is not great for the football club if it goes badly. If it goes well, who knows? Um but what I would say, and I, I, I guarantee I, I 100% agree with you on your point, something, it doesn't really matter now what, something needs to happen for everything to calm down, people's clarity, people's judgment. When you've got an owner that wants to sell, which we know he does, I know he'd back it, I know he'd still back it to the hill, and I know he would, because he, he's that type of character. But you just, you, you need to move on. And even if it is, unfortunately, a case of somebody coming in, in Eric Alonso, and it fails, and in two years' time, we're in the exact same position, or, or almost, it, it's something still needs to happen this summer. Because like you say, at the end of the day, for, for the fans, certainly, the, the, the first and foremost is that team needs one hell of a lot of work doing to it. Um, just, to, just to get Derby competitive in the championship again. We, we've seen that. We've had two years. Last season, we said, you know, we finished 10th, 11th, whatever it was. That that was majority, that was a false position. Derby were not that good, in my opinion. Um, and this season's kind of proven, I, I think we're about, you know, we are where we are because that's where we deserve to be. And the next steps, Mel's not got that run in him. Whilst he might keep the club ticking over in the foreseeable until a deal is done. I don't think he's got the energy, the belief, the time, the, the money, whatever, to, to take that next push. And if it is somebody that just comes in for, for an 18-month, two-year reign of, of Derby County or whatever, two, three years, and, and then we, we see him go again, fine, whatever. But something needs, something definitely needs to change. Um, and, you know, we know it could have been any. And obviously it's, it's due to AFL approval, We'll have to wait and see. One thing we know with Derby Corey, there's there will be a spanner in the works somewhere. There always is. Nothing at Derby County goes through as smoothly as as you'd like it to. Um, but it might just be a lot of fans will go, "Oh, here we go again," and quite rightly. But it might just be that peace of mind that we weren't lingering. There weren't no interest. There wasn't another six months of people waiting to be interested in buying Derby County again. It does seem that Eric Alonso wants Derby, no matter what division they're in, no matter what state they're in, where I think the American consortium uh, who was linked wanted to see what division Derby were in. That is a tick in his box. He kind of wants Derby. And I think in any walk of life, if you feel wanted, if somebody wants you, then you can put a brave face on things and, and you know you can move forward with, with, with that application. And I think it, it, it's interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's probably not the mega billions. You know, we, I don't think it was ever the mega billions with the BZI group, but you know, it, it, something didn't sit right with me with that one. And I know we've discussed that in, in great lengths. Something doesn't quite sit right with me with this one either personally, but it's, it is we're, we are at a point now where something's got to change because the longer it goes on, 
we're not going to have, like you quite rightly say, we're not going to be in a in a proper position that Derby need to be in. We're not just looking at two or three players to change a mid-table to a promotion pushing side. We need nine players at least minimum. We know that because of what contracts are in and out. So it really has to be so rigid and structured in the summer. And there's no way that that could be, that could be done properly um, without some form of luck involved. It can't be done properly without all this business going away and, and, you know, somebody else in charge. Yeah. And I would agree with you, Jason. And I've got two points to finish the pot. I think it is, it is fantastic that after the BZJ, the, the Benzai group deal fell through um, that this deal has come as quickly as what it has. Obviously he's seen something. He wants it. He's going to willing to do a deal. And like you say, it's great that he's trying to do this deal regardless of the decision that the division that Derby County is in next season. And the only thing I would say, Jason is, me and you will be in and around it the entire time as this takeover progresses, getting information and news as we can out to, to our, on our socials and in the podcast as we can and trying to break it down the best we can as well. Neither of us are finance experts, but we will, we will do our best to, to try to, to try to make the, the best of it. Yeah. There goes our six, there goes our summer holidays. We thought it was going to be a quiet one. I don't think it's going to be, but that is all, that is all for this episode. Um, as I say, thanks for everybody who listens. As always, you know, like, subscribe, do all, do all that kind of business. Hopefully, everything that's being put out on uh, on on socials, people people are enjoying. It looks like people enjoyed the international break. We're ready for some more football. Of course, it is mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. It's mentioned at the end of the podcast. But I just thought I'd pop it on there for anybody who's seen it on on socials just recently. We're we're, we're pushing the uh, the fan hub the fan hub app. Um, get involved with it, guys, because it's it's a, it's a good laugh. Me and Corey both do it. There's quite a few uh, people on Twitter that you know are regular contributors on social media to all forms of Derby County who are involved with it. Um, give it a download, give it a like, check out our socials for more information. Um, it, it's a fun part to be. It's fun to be part of. Um, and obviously, coming up, we've got yeah, we've got the Blackburn Pod. Uh, we'll obviously be reviewing reviewing the uh, the aftermath of Norwich fingers crossed it's not as bad as uh, as Huddersfield got it as Huddersfield got it last night and obviously looking forward after that there'll only be a, a handful of games to go and then it's um, it's pre it's it, well it's closed season and as we've just mentioned I think there's going to be plenty going on at Derby um, and there's something coming up very very soon Corey and that is a, is a slight nudge towards our 100th episode of, of the Rams Review podcast. Can't believe it's 100. It's, it, I know it's, we're coming up. We're coming up to the old centenary, and for the centenary and the first few after the centenary, we'll have some from some special, hopefully a corker or two in there as well. Um, yeah, that'll be that'll be really nice. But yeah, like you say, it's just trying to get to the end of the season now. Um, we got some big pods coming up. Uh, Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday, and Birmingham are two that, that stand out to me that that are real tasty fixtures. So, um, but yeah. So yeah, get in touch, everybody. Use the Fan Hub app; it's great. We've been using it, um, and hopefully it's going to grow a little bit more. But yeah, we really appreciate everything that that you guys engage with us and listen with us, and and, and we appreciate it. And don't feel free to get in touch. Send us a comment, direct message, rate the podcast, subscribe, all that good stuff. So, Jason, that's all I've got. Yeah, no, I was I was going to finish on the exact same thing. But please, anybody that wants to get in touch, we've always said it: positive, negative. Not an issue at all. We 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 listen to to everybody's comments and, and try and be as involved and keep people in, in in as involved as we as we possibly can. Um, and yeah, just just a tip to that 100th episode. It's going to be uh, going to be an interesting one. And as you say, those first few and a couple more in the pipelines. Some are already recorded. Some are in the pipelines, waiting, ready ready to be organised for for those summer months. Um, and 
we'll just we'll just wait and see on those. But until until next time, guys, I say that it'll be the uh, the Blackburn review, Fallout of Norwich, uh, and anything else that's that's happened takeover wise or, or whatever else. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep you posted. And until next time, Corey, as always, I haven't said I haven't said thank you. Thank you, Corey. Jason, you're more than welcome. <laughs> and as always, up the ramps. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. On Facebook, it's Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.